Pause I Am Radio with your host, Robert Brining, sharing stories from across the United States and around the world. To join the conversation, call 929-477-3572. That's 929-477-3572. Each week, we'll bring you our exclusive HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and your positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Your weekly dose of hope. Pause I Am Radio. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the June 3rd edition of Pause I Am Radio. I am so excited to be back on the air uh, with all of you and today's special guests coming on. They are three Tennessee advocates who are on a road trip to the HIV is not a crime um, uh, conference in uh, Indiana. So they're literally on the road joining us live as they're driving there, which is going to be pretty cool. Uh, first time I've done something like this, so it should be interesting. Um, the three of them are Larry Frampton, who you know is Cowboy Larry, Brady Del Morris, who you know who's been on the show before, and I'm excited to have Mark Grantham uh, join us for uh, the first time on the show. So I'm excited to hear him. He's heading to the conference for the first time. Um, so uh, I'm excited to hear what he's expecting to get out of it and to learn uh, from the summit. So, yeah, I'm excited. So I want to play a couple of things before we bring the guests on because we're here for 45 minutes and we're going to speak a little bit with both of them, uh, all three of them. So first, I want to play a positive message from Rise Up to HIV and our friend here, Kevin Maloney. So this is uh, our friend, Bruce. Hi, my name is Bruce. I'm from Brooklyn. I was diagnosed with HIV in 2003, and I became undetectable in 2010. My positive message is that this is an incredibly exciting time to be living with HIV because we know now that we have treatment that not only protects us, protects our health and, and enables us to live long, healthy lives, but it, it protects our partners from getting HIV. We cannot transmit HIV when we're undetectable. Um, so I guess the message is, is if you're considering treatment or you're on treatment, please understand that if you take your meds and stay undetectable, you won't transmit HIV, you'll stay uninfectious. It's very exciting, we can have sex and intimacy and, and babies with our partners without fear, without shame, and without stigma. And there you have it, that's our friend Bruce from U Equals U, uh, sharing the message of hope and educating others about uh, what U Equals U means and undetectable equals transmittable, um, which is kind of plays, kind of sort of hand in hand with HIV is not a crime. Um, it kind of uh, is a message uh, one and the same. I also do want to uh, play this week's HIV scoop from Josh Robbins. Um, so uh, take a listen to this, and then we'll be live with our advocate. If I can get the button to work. Of course, it don't want to work right now, so let's refresh the page real quick. Um, as you all know, Josh is from amstilljosh.com. Um, he was the one who was doing the um, Healthy Voices um, virtual reality uh, to watch it virtually from uh, the conference there. It was cool. There he is. This is the all-new HIV Scoop with Josh Robbins, exclusively for Pause I Am Radio. This week's buzzworthy sexual health news in under two minutes. Here's Josh Robbins with this week's HIV Scoop. Hey, what's up, Robbins? And everybody, gosh, it's been, it feels like forever for me to be doing an exclusive HIV scoop here at Pause I Am Radio. But it's back. Oh, yes, it is. So let's just get started. In a, a recorded video released by MSNBC News, Bill Gates, 
Yeah, you know, the dude that made all the computers. He laughs about two meetings that he allegedly had with President Trump in which the Donald allegedly asked the differences between HIV and HPV. Seriously, he was confused. So social media has been giving Donald Trump a really hard time about that. And I tell you, if you are confused, I mean, let's not assume everybody knows. If you're confused, the differences between HIV and HPV, I've got a full explanation on my blog, imstilljosh.com. All right, this is pretty hot. Courtney Act is the queen and king of, of fluid gender identity, and uh, she is, or he stars in a new public service announcement explaining everything that you need to know about someone who says undetectable. So be sure to look and check that out. And then the final, this is kind of spicy, as always, Charlie Sheen is back in the news. You know, he did a very public HIV disclosure with Matt Lauer on uh, NBC News back in, I think, what, uh, 2015? Yeah. Uh, and so according to TMZ, it looks like that the another ex-girlfriend of Charlie Sheen has now said that, that he didn't disclose to her about his positive status. Now, Sheen has claimed that she is stalking his house and his father, Martin Sheen's house. Sheen also noted that uh, this female ex-girlfriend signed a non-disclosure agreement, which means that she was to keep their sexual relationship a secret. It also requires her to settle anything about that in arbitration. This is the second time Sheen has been sued for this, exposing an ex-girlfriend allegedly to the virus. His first, uh, well, his ex-fiancee filed a similar lawsuit in 2015, but that suit was referred to arbitration as well. I'm Josh Robbins. This was your HIV Scoop. And there you have it. Thank you, Josh Robbins. It's kind of funny because, uh, and to be honest, that scoop was actually from last week and I wasn't able to play it. So I contacted Josh and I was like, look, I'm doing a show on, um, you know, HIV is not a crime. Can I use next last week's scoop? You know, is, is it dated at all? And he's like, no, it's good. And then listening to it now, because I like to listen to it fresh. Um, so I am getting, you're getting my raw reaction from, from it as it's live. And, and it just happened to talk about Charlie Sheen and, you know, his ex-girlfriend and the non-disclosure and all this kind of thing. And our advocate, Larry Brady and Mark are on the road now joining us as they're heading to the HIV is not a crime conference. So I'm excited to hear their input on the scoop. So we're going to start first with our friend Brady Dalmar. So Brady, how are you? I'm good, Robert. How are you? Good. How's the road trip? It's uh, hot. <laughs> hot? Yes. Hot in a good way? <laughs> uh, both ways, yes. In every way, in every way possible. That's awesome. That's awesome. So thanks for joining uh, for joining me today. That's all three of you. So I'm excited to have you guys on. Um, it's kind of weird that the scoop that Josh did for us this week um, kind of had that uh, Charlie Sheen aspect of not disclosure and his ex-girlfriend trying to, you know, p possibly press charges. And you guys are heading right. to kind of a conference that is focusing on HIV criminalization. So I don't know. What were your, what were your thoughts on that? Um, it's, uh, it's, I don't think it's with it, but it was, it's, it's very, um, present. It's very what is going on right now, um, and it's not very being talked about very much. Um, because 
HIV criminalization laws are bad for public health in general. Um, the laws were written back, and I can understand why the laws were written back when they were, back when we didn't know what HIV was, we didn't know what caused it, we didn't know how it was transmitted. Um, so these laws were, were written to protect the, the, the health of the, pop, of the you know, population. But now with 30 plus years of scientific evidence and research and more knowledge and empirical data, real life data that we know about the virus, it's time that our laws get, get modernized and get caught up to, to the virus. I, I agree with you totally. So uh, for people who aren't familiar with you, just give a, a, a real quick brief, how long have you been positive and, and you know, what you're involved in? Oh, absolutely, yeah. My name is Bray Morris. I uh, live in Nashville. Um, I'm a member of the Tennessee AIDS Advocacy Network. Uh, I'm also the chairman of the Nashville Regional HIV Planning Council, Ryan White Part A. Um, and I have been positive since July of 2009. So I'm almost coming up on my 10-year anniversary next year of living with HIV. Wow, wow. So, so tell me, this is a conference that you've been to before. Um, tell me your experience um, when you went last, last time. Uh, yes, I went two years ago. It was in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, I met a lot of uh, new people, met, made a lot of new uh, increase my network. And learned a lot about. Uh, I heard heard a lot of stories that really deeply impacted me personally. That I still carry with me and share with others when they ask me, you know, why is HIV being a crime such a big deal? Um, it was it was it was a very eye opening, and I gained a lot of tools. Uh, learned a lot of stuff from the conference. So I'm looking uh, forward to going back, seeing my old friends and my extended family. And, uh, and hopefully gaining more tools so that I can bring them back to Nashville and get some things changed in Tennessee. So as somebody who attended uh, to, uh, to one previously, what are some, um, I guess, workshops or things that they kind of discussed there during the conference? Uh, we basically just kind of sharing of ideas, um, what, like listening to like Barb Cardell talking to us about what, what the Mod Squad did in Colorado and listening to Tammy Hot, what what she did in Iowa to get their laws changed. Um, because out of the 33 states in which, you know, these laws exist, they're not all the same. Um, you know, uh, political atmospheres are different. Uh, personalities are different. So what works in one particular state may not work in another. But, you know, you can, when you listen and you learn what worked in for another state, you can always take bits and pieces and kind of shape it to fit your climate and where we live to, to hopefully make a change. Does, uh, does it draw a lot of people, a lot of attendees? Uh, yes, uh, we see, I didn't attend the first uh, conference in Grinnell, um, but Larry was there. Um, but he did say, you know, tell me that Huntsville was a lot bigger and I anticipate uh, this conference this year is going to be even bigger. I know that we have uh, coming up from Mexico, who were just able to successfully get laws changed in, uh, in Mexico. Did I lose you? I actually met these advocates in years, yeah, two years ago, and to be able to see what they were able to accomplish just since the last conference and training academy um, gives me a little bit of pride in it and it instills a little bit more hope in me that I know that we can do that. If they can do it in Mexico, we can do it in Tennessee. 
So, now, um, can, you, can you, for some people who may not be familiar with HIV laws or the laws that are actually out there that are discriminating against those with the virus, what are some um, things that you know that you remember that kind of hit the headlines that kind of made you pay attention to this subject? Well, the thing about HIV and, our, and the criminalization laws, um, first of all, it, it doesn't take into account intent. It doesn't take into account any kind of preventative measures that are taken, uh, condoms, press use, uh, being undetectable. Um, the laws, they don't take into account if transmission even occurs. It's, all these laws are solely based on me disclosing to a sex, sexual partner that I am HIV positive. And if I do not tell this person, or you know, that I'm about to have sex with, that I'm HIV positive, even though I may not be able to transmit the virus to them, I can still be arrested and still wind up being a felon and a convicted sex offender. So, so, so repeat that one more time for people who aren't listening. You can, you can disclose, not pass it on, and everything, and be undetectable and still go possibly to jail. That is correct. I mean, uh, you know, and Larry will probably say again here in a minute, but I mean, he's always said, you know, those of us living with HIV are just a bad relationship away from being a felon and on a sex offender registry list. That's how, how archaic and draconian these laws that were written in, you know, the early 90s, that's how bad they are. They, Robert, I'll share a story with you. I, I know of a, of a young lady in, in Little Rock or in Arkansas who was raped and her, she did not, of course, have any kind of real com conversation with a rapist. But after the incident, and she, that she survived, she survived the rape, she was too terrified to prosecute her rapist because she did not disclose to her rapist that she was HIV positive, meaning she would suffer greater consequences from her rapist if he wanted to turn around and using these laws against her. I mean, he would be out walking the streets, and she would be a convicted felon and a sex offender, a sex offender, and on a registry for the rest of her life. It's, it's That's that, insane. And there, you know, that, and I've heard stories of women being trapped in relationships um, because their their spouses know that they can put their spouse in jail if they try to leave them or if they don't have dinner. I mean, whatever. It's it's absolutely ridiculous, and we need to get the laws caught up with science. And, and our American values, for, I mean, to be quite frank, um, the reason why it's really personal to me right now, um, you know, I've only been an advocate and out about really publicly out on social media and everything about my status for about four years now. And just within the past six months, I have twi twice I've had someone bring up the fact that they can and scared the crap out of me. Um, that they could make a phone call and that I would be sitting in jail while they would be out laughing and playing and I would have to be proving my innocence from behind bars. One of these people was a complete anonymous stranger on Grinder, blank profile, blank, no picture, just saw that I was back home in Arkansas and said, sent me a message saying, oh, so you, you came back to Arkansas to give more people AIDS? And I'm like, oh, wow. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? And, they're like, well, you know, you passed it a lot, you know, you gave it to a lot of folks before you left to, to go to Tennessee. And I'm like, well, you're hot, you're, 
Number one, I became positive a year after I lived in Nashville. So I never lived in Arkansas when I was HIV positive and I have not had sex with anybody in Arkansas. So wherever you're getting that information is completely wrong. But they were like, oh, no, 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 but, but I can call the cops. I know that I can call the cops and say that you and I had sex and they'll come and arrest you. This was Christmas Eve, Robert. Mm-hmm. And wow. the person threatened to have me arrested and spend my Christmas away from my family in jail. And granted, I'm this person is somebody I, I honestly don't think I even have ever had sex with. But just being an asshole and wanting me to sit in jail, and as I prove my my innocence. Hmm. So it's, that's why these summits with become, yeah, it's become really really personal. Uh, you know, I have yes. Yeah. And I, I, I talked about it on Facebook. You know, I had absolutely no shame. Thanks to my friends, my family, my extended, um, you know, advocate family, I have no shame about being HIV positive. And thanks to you equals you, I have an, a, a newfound inner peace. I regained part of my humanity that HIV took away from me with you equals you. But still, yet I, I there are times when I think about a sexual intimacy and and filling that kind of void in my life and having a partner or wanting to bring a partner into my life. I get absolutely paralyzed with fear, knowing that this person is someone who could potentially wind up having me sit in prison just because we got into a fight over someone didn't take out the trash. I mean, I just, uh, it, it's, it's terrifying. That's crazy. That's crazy, Brady. Well, look, I want to uh, have you pass the phone off to uh, either, I guess, Marcus next, um, but I just want to thank you for, you know, joining me and sharing your input on uh, heading to this conference, and I hope you have a great time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Robert. And uh, and maybe hopefully I'll be able to uh, share with you some some new tips and new tools after this conference, and we can get these other third three states in shape. Sounds good. All right. righty, Mark. Are you with me? Are you with me? Yeah, I'm here. Yes. All right, Mark. Welcome to the show. How are you? This is Robert. I'm excited to have Very you with good, us. Thanks. Pleasure to be so here. this is your first this is your first time heading to the conference, right? This is my first uh my first conference for HIV is not a crime. That's awesome. So first tell people a little bit of background about yourself. How long have you been positive? How long have you been uh an activist and involved? Things like that. Um I've been HIV positive thirty three plus years. Um wow. I was so I've been, I've been positive longer than I was negative, and I was mm. probably born an activist advocate. You know, I was part of the old ACT UP group. Uh, I was I was in the old days. I was a in-your-face militant advocate. With age, I, I like that. <laughs> you said with age, you mellowed down. <laughs> you, you got it. Well, hopefully the next generation kind of picks it up because there's still reason for us to be making noise in the streets like you guys did back in the day, correct? <laughs> I'm I'm hoping the younger generation can t- carry the baton of my activism and my advocacy and let me take a seat and sit down for a little bit. Yeah, well, I think that's a good thing. And first, thank you for, for fighting all those years and being that voice out there because without people like you and Larry, the long-term survivors out there, you know, at the front line, we wouldn't be here because if I didn't hear your voices, I wouldn't have been inspired to share my voice. Um, that's all I can hope for is that I could affect somebody else's life in that way. You know, back in the day, I was 
I participated in the die-in in the rotunda in the nation's capital. I helped uh, break the doors down at the uh, FDA and the NIH. And so I'm hoping that, you know, in the course of, in the, in the timeline, that that has affected not only us, but policies and scientific research and everything else. I oh, know. That's awesome. Well, thank you for that. And I, I think that I need to just have a show with you sometime because uh, you sound very interesting and have a lot of stories to tell that I would like to hear. So maybe we could set that up sometime uh, in the future to have you come back on and just kind of share what your story is um, personally. That was, sure. My pleasure. So, so tell me, what do you hope to get out of this conference um, since it's your first time going? What are you expecting? I'm hoping or I'm expecting to be able to take what I know uh, and put it to use with the tools that I will be given at this conference. You know, what I know uh, intellectually sometimes has to be melded with what we know emotionally. And I'm hoping that the conference can give me tools to be able to, to, be able to do that. So are there uh, specific laws in Tennessee in your homes, in your guys' home state that are, um, I guess, you know, something worth fighting for? Is that why you're going there? Are there laws in your own town? Yeah. Um, as, as, and as you heard from Brady earlier, um, you know, some of the laws in Tennessee as far as uh, HIV-specific laws are very draconian, very, very out of date, very passe. They need to be brought up to the modern times. And I've rediscovered the passion of advocacy in my life. And so I don't think I'm going to rest comfortably until I see a change <laughs> happening in those laws. Right. You just might put your feet up for a little bit. <laughs> exactly. I need to put up my feet up and I need to watch the Golden Girls. Yeah, that's funny because I was talking to Brady earlier and I was telling him, he said it was like a road trip and I was it was a Golden Girls road trip. <laughs> the three is hanging well, out. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. awesome. So what, So you, you haven't been to before. So tell me a little bit about some other conferences that you've been to that, um, you know, may have affect, uh, help, helped you in some way that, that are still going on now. Um, well, I've been to... The USCA, I've been to, uh, which is the United States Conference on AIDS. I've been to AIDS Watch um, twice or three times, three times. Um, I've been to quite a few different conferences over the years. Um, some are, you know, have gone by the wayside. Some are still going strong. Um, but it's, it's empowering to me to hear people share their story and share how they've become emboldened to make a change, whether it be on their street, on their community, in the, in the city, in the state. That's, in, that's empowering to me. Um, it's, you know, and I, I like to take their energy and mix it with my energy and see what the universe can give us back. Yeah, that's my favorite thing about these conferences is, uh, you know, the conference and the presentations and the speakers are always great and there's good information. But for me, it's that bonding one-on-one -on -one moment with the other advocates, whether it's at a cigarette break or at dinner or, you know, just outside uh, waiting for the next one to start. You know, whatever it is, it's those little intimate conversations, those one-on-ones that kind of really empower me and, and brainstorm, you know, give me brainstorms and ideas to 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 
to kind of change and do things differently. That's what really invigorates and empowers me is being able to share with another person one-on-one and figure out how did you make this change? What, what did you do? Give me some ideas. I might not use those ideas, but give them to me and I can maybe change, adapt them to where I am. But so often, as you said, you know, the main speaker, the presentation, the PowerPoint, whatever, it's, you know, it's, it's important. It's, it's, it's good to see, but so many, for me, so much of intellectual you know, growth and development has occurred standing in the hallway over a cup of coffee talking to somebody. Mm. No, that's, um, you know, actually, I think the, the photo we have of you is uh, a positive living. Um, that's actually one of my yes. favorite conferences in the whole wide world. I was just there with uh, Brady and, and Larry uh, this past one. Were you, is that the picture from this year? No, that was uh, three years ago. Okay, was yeah. I was, I was going to say, cause you looked familiar to me, and I was like, maybe I've seen him at Positive Living before or somewhere, or maybe it's just online. I wasn't sure if we Could crossed paths before. Because I've been to Positive Living twice. I didn't go last year. Um, but, God, like, you know, like you've heard, I have no shame about my status. So God, God only knows that the pictures and the teddy bear and – Everything else, you know, you'll see me. I'm I'm out there. I I'm hoping that if I if I can say to somebody I'm HIV positive and I've done this this and this, that'll help them. Absolutely, especially when you're newly diagnosed. You know, it's it's so scary. What what made you get what made you get involved as an activism as an activist because. Back in the day, you could have just been quiet and not gotten involved. What made you get involved with ACT OFF and things like that? Well, I got really involved back then because my friends were dying and nobody was doing a gosh darn thing. Um, Funeral homes would not embalm my friends. We had to go pick them up in garbage bags and give them, you know, whatever funeral they could, whatever they could have. So I got, I got, I was really pissed off. I was really angry. And so that's, that's, fueled my activism. Fortunately for me, my parents had raised me as an activist advocate from day one. Uh, In whatever cause I felt passionate about, I needed to be, you know, be there. And so that's, that's how I started to become an HIV activist because there wasn't anybody else there, there. You know, there were no case managers. There were no AIDS service organizations. There, there weren't any of that. So we had to become our own activists. We had to become our own voice. We, because if we weren't going to do it, no one else was. Wow. Yeah. It's an, it's an incredible. I'm incredibly grateful that you guys have stood and and, and fought and, and made noise because, like I said, it, it's really empowered me to, to want to be the person that I am today. You know, having that voice before me tell me that it's okay to be me, it's okay to be gay, it's okay to be HIV positive, it's, you know, it's just okay to be different. And, you know, if we owe our, I owe a lot of, you know, love for what you all have done for us. Well, then, you know what, us uh, old folks, us long-term survivors, we've done our job. If we've, if, if we've impacted your life, then we've done our job. Yes, I agree. So, listen, I have one last question before you pass me off to Larry. Um, okay. How do you deal with 
or do you deal with survivor's guilt? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. No, I'm sorry. Uh, do you at all deal oh, yeah. with survivor's guilt? I used to have survivor's guilt, and it does creep its head up every now and then. Um, an instance would be when my late partner passed away. Um, I was, you know, very much of the why is why am I still here and why did he have to go? I've had HIV a whole lot longer than he did. Why 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 wasn't it me? When my friends have passed away, it, I again why why didn't I go? And now it's I've I've been able to tell myself it's because I've got a story, something to share, and if I can. If I can share it, if I can tell it, if I can hug you, if I can, if I can see your smile, then that takes away the guilt. There you have it. Well, Mark, thank you for uh, taking your time out of your road trip and joining me for you know the last few minutes and sharing your experience. I hope you have a great time at the conference, and I'll be in touch about getting you back on the show. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, and next we have up my favorite cowboy, <laughs> one of actually my longest friends that I've known online through activism, uh, Larry Frampton. Are you there, Larry? Yes, sir, I am. I'm so happy to have you back on, Larry. I love and miss you, man. <laughs> I miss you too, buddy. Good, good. So tell me, I have, you know, for people who don't know who you are, just give a, a brief little bit. How long have you been positive and what made you get involved? All right, so I've been positive for 29 years, and I got involved because my partner, when we found out I was doing professional rodeo, doing bull riding at the time, and my partner got sick, and we ended up uh, in the hospital and found out he had AIDS, and um, I got tested and became positive. Like two weeks later, I got my results on Valentine's Day, and... Uh. Four months later, my partner passed away, and I was so mad because it just didn't seem fair and, and that I had to still continue, but my partner passed away. And then at that time, I was getting hit with all the discrimination. Like, his family wouldn't even come to the funeral because they didn't want to be around anything HIV-related. I had to clean out our home and... And they didn't want any of his personal items because they didn't want to get AIDS. And they thought they would get AIDS by touching his pictures and things, which I saved. I saved a lot of that stuff because I figured his family eventually would come around. And it took 10 mm -hmm. years for his mom to come around and finally say, hey, Larry, you know, I'm glad you're still alive. You know, do you still have any of that stuff that my son had? And and I gladly said I did because I I knew that at some point she would feel guilty and want some of that stuff back. Um, wow. I got involved just because I was pissed off. And and like Mark, I was that in-your-face advocate. I did a lot of the early stuff with ACT UP myself. Um, in the early 90s, I got arrested for chaining myself to the White House fence naked uh, when we were advocating <laughs> for the Ryan White stuff to fund the Ryan White programs and I don't recommend getting arrested naked because then you go to jail naked. But, you know, it's, it's not, not very, no very well thought out at the time. 
Wait, they don't give you any clothes if you're gonna rest it naked? No, they you know, they just kinda of sit in the cell naked until someone brings you stuff. <laughs> uh, I'm picturing you and just your cowboy hat sitting in the jail cell. <laughs> right. Well I had on. That's it. I had my boots. That's it. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh geez. So um I love that you're 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 so true. You're a real cowboy. That rodeo, you a rodeo. You have a farm. You have horses. I mean, I love it that that it's so. It's not just a hat. You know what I mean? And and it's yeah. for me, it's awesome. Um, so you know, you were I'm one of the first right. members of my site. You were one of the first members of my site when I started it. One of the first people I've ever had on the radio show. You know, like one of the longest yeah. people I've known. You know, in the HIV advocacy world. And I just tell you know that I totally respect you and. And, and love everything that you do, um, and I just think you're awesome. I love seeing you when I get to see you. Thank you. You've been to this you conference. Too. You've been to this conference. Now, this will be your third one. What is it right. that is so important about this conference that us people with HIV really need to get to it? Well, I think when you when you meet someone who's been prosecuted and who's been thrown in jail because of these laws, you you automatically have, you know, that feeling that you have a connection with them, and you've got to do something to help people like them and others. I'm one of those advocates that, you know, if, if I take up a cause, it's because someone touched my heart, and I want to fight like hell to get things changed. And I've met a lot of people that have been prosecuted by these laws. My current job, I'm the public policy director at the largest HIV organization in the state of Tennessee, and then I run the Tennessee AIDS Advocacy Network also, and I talk every day to clients that have been prosecuted by these laws, and it brings tears to my eyes. I li- I, I'll sit in my office and cry after talking to some of these folks because it just it tears you apart, and you just can't help but want to help them and do whatever you can, do your part to change these laws. What are some um, cases that maybe have hit the headlines that um, uh, that are out there now that are going on that people can, um, you know, kind of understand what you're there fighting and learning about? Well, it's interesting because in Tennessee, we had an individual do a study during a 10-year period from 2000 to 2010 where she tracked all the prosecutions and all the arrests for HIV criminalization in the state of Tennessee. And what was very strange about it is, is how, how wrong these laws are being used. They're, being, they're supposed to be used to, to, you know, prosecute people that are intentionally transmitting. But what's happened was over 40% of the arrests in Tennessee during that period were for spitting and biting, which, you know, you can't get HIV from that. And then 75% of the arrests for our aggravated prostitution uh, law, which if you're an HIV positive uh, person who's a sex worker, you can get an aggravated prostitution charge. But 75% of those charges were for oral sex. So they don't even understand what the law's for. And they're being misused and predominantly to prosecute sex workers, prosecute people with mental health addic- you know, and, and addiction issues, and the, and the black community. And these, these are the folks that are marginalized anyhow, and these are the folks that those laws are being used to target folks to get them off the streets. Wow. 
So um, what are what are some of the cases that are in the headlines now? Like there has to be, I'm trying to think of the one. Is it is it Michael? Michael Johnson. Yes, that's it. I couldn't think of it. Just so like just give. I wanted to just um, like give one that's out in the news now that people are following that that people can understand or look up. Yeah, that, there's him and there's Carrie uh, Carrie uh, oh Lord the guy in Idaho. Brady, do you remember who I'm talking about? But there's that individual, and his name is Kerry. But he's going to be uh, he's going to be actually doing a session live from jail in Idaho here at this conference, talking about being prosecuted in Idaho. Uh, but he uh, he's currently serving prison time, and I think he got 30 years in jail for not disclosing, and he had been. Um, he, he was a uh, he's an HIV positive uh, straight heterosexual guy, and uh, when several women had uh, alleged that he had tried to infect them, and it turns out that se- several of them he hadn't even had sex with, but people were just like jumping on the bandwagon and trying to add charges to him, and so there's a lot of advocates trying to fight to uh, get his release at this point. Wow, that's crazy. There's just so much, I just feel like so much work still needs to be done even after all these years. We still, you know, we right. still need to be out there. That's why it's so important for this younger generation, younger generation to kind of step up and not be like, oh, well, U equals U and there's prep. I don't need to really worry about it or make any noise. But no, there's still laws and things that we need to stand up and fight for. Right. You know, I travel all around the state of Tennessee also and talk with people living with HIV all over the state, because that's part of my job now, but I, I do it because most people, especially being diagnosed now, don't even know that these laws exist in our state, and they don't know until they're prosecuted, and then they're like, oh, what the hell did I just do? You know, what, what is this about? I mean, they, the problem is, you know, most people that are being diagnosed now don't even know that they can get arrested for not disclosing and while I'm a huge proponent of the U equals U campaign, um, some folks feel like now that, you know, we've gotten to that place that they don't have to disclose if they have an undetectable viral load. But unfortunately, the way the laws are written right now, uh, you still have to disclose even if you are undetectable in the state of Tennessee. And you can still go to jail and serve 15 years in prison and lifetime on the violent sex offender registry for not disclosing your status. Wow. That's insane. So how many states actually have HIV-specific uh, laws? 33, I believe. 33. And then there's some states like Texas that don't have HIV-specific laws, but it's almost a hindrance because people get arrested for, like, aggravated assault, attempted murder, uh, there's a guy sitting in jail in Texas right now serving 15 years for spitting on a police officer. They get charged with all kinds of crazy stuff because there isn't any laws that would protect them. Wow. That is insane for spitting. I mean, it can't even be transmitted. It's insane. Right. I mean, it's gross. No one wants to be spit on, but, you know, you can't transmit <laughs> HIV that way. Yeah. That's true. That is true. Wow. Well, listen, I know you guys are getting close to the conference location, so do you have any final words with our audience before I let you guys get back on the road? 
Just want to thank you, Robert. You've been a huge support for us for many years, and we, we love you, and we, we couldn't do all this work without you, buddy. Well, thank you guys for uh, joining me, and I love you all, and I hope you have a great time, and I can't wait to read all about it when you guys get back. Will do. Thank you, Robert. All right. Bye, guys. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, and there you have it. There is uh, Larry, Brady, and Mark on the road to the HIV's Eye Crime Conference in Indiana. I was really excited to have them uh, join me today. Uh, the conference actually uh, is held from June 3rd to the 6th in Indianapolis. And what it does is it unites and trains advocates living with HIV and allies from across the country on laws criminalizing people living with HIV and on strategies and best practices for repealing such laws. Skill building training with an emphasis on grassroots organizing and advocacy, coalition building, and campaign planning. Will he participate with concrete tools and resources to work on state-level strategies when they return home? And um, again, my name is Robert. I'm coming to you live from Philadelphia. I want to thank you all for joining me today and learning all about the HIV is Not a Crime Conference, and I hope to attend the next one. So uh, everyone in charge, reach out to me so I can... Uh, be there. I would love to do a show live from there uh, and talk to some people who are dealing with this firsthand. Again, a special thank you to our guests, uh, Larry, Brady, and Mark. You guys were great. I hope you have a great time at the conference. And until next time, um, have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Pause I Am Radio, your dose of hope. Connect with the show at pauseiamradio.com or on social media. And we'll see you next time.